Grab your Bible, turn to Matthew chapter 16. We'll begin in Matthew 16, and I'm going to challenge you this morning because I'm going to make you move around to several different Bible verses. My concern is that this may be the only time this week that you read the Bible. And so because of that, I want to read as much of it as I can to you this morning. Plus, Paul told Timothy, devote yourself to the public reading of Scripture. So we're going to do that this morning. We're going to read some Scripture together. And then um, hopefully the Lord will be faithful to His Word, as He has always proved to be faithful, and speak to us this morning. I'm going to pray one more time because it helps my mind to get focused on what needs to be done this morning. And then hopefully, uh, as I'm praying, you will also be praying for yourself, that the Lord would speak to you, that you would listen, that some of you would stay awake, and that you would be prepared to do what God asks you to do. Lord, as we come again to you, um, just setting our minds and our hearts uh, even maybe even our eyes towards you as we lift up our our attitude, our response to you. Lord, asking that you would speak through your word. God, that we would be ready when your Holy Spirit commands us. We would be ready to respond to you in a way that brings you glory and you honor. God, we understand that this, we understand to the truth of the fact that these words that we're about to read are from you. We're trusting that you breathed them out upon those who wrote them down, that you've preserved them throughout time until today. God, we can trust in them. God, as you challenge us this morning to worship you and you alone and to to deny self, or help us not to make these few, few more moments together about self, but instead about Jesus. In Jesus' name I pray. Amen. Matthew 16, verse 24 is where we are together. I know we have lots to talk about. I know that uh, for the past uh, several weeks we've been going through this series called Slow. Uh, today is the last day that we're going to talk about it for a while. And so we, uh, we've we worked through simple. The, the, the S stands for simple. Uh, we spent about five weeks studying love and uh, Romans chapter 11. If you wrote it this, if you read it this past week, uh, you saw some uh, some of the uh, love, some of the kindness showing up, and what what Christ has done for us, uh, His mercy for us, how we um, we demonstrate that and model that to the world. We talked about the O standing for obedience or obeying, particularly being obedient to Christ, to His commands, to what He desires of us. Love the Lord your God with all that you are, all your heart, soul mind, strength, everything that you are, and then loving your neighbor as yourself. And being obedient to that command, it is, a, it is a command. And following through as he's commanded us to do those things, then we can follow through with the great commission, that he's commissioned us out to go as we're loving God with everything that we are, as we're loving our neighbor as ourself, we can go and fulfill the mission of God to make disciples of the entire world, baptizing them, teaching them all those things that Christ desires of us. So we get the commandment down, then we can get the commission down. You can't do the commission without the commandment. You have to have uh, your life centered around the commandment that Christ has upon your life. And then you can follow through and be obedient to the commission. And in the past few weeks, we've been talking about worship, about slowing down and looking for moments to worship Christ. 
being ready, being available, being present to God and present to people, as we said in the, in the beginning of this series, and then following through with that, being ready to worship Christ in everything that we do, understanding that he's worthy of it. He's the only one worthy of worship. There is nothing or anyone else that is worthy of worship. Worship is what you devote your life to. It's what you sing to. It's what you sing about. It's what you read about. It's what you study. It's what you devote your life to. It's what you find pleasure in. This is worship. It's not just praying. It's not just reading scripture. It's not just uh, singing songs on a Sunday morning. But instead, worship is what you've devoted your entire life to. We came up with this definition for you. Worship is forgetting about self and offering your life as a servant or sacrifice to the Lord. Worship is expressed through fearing the Lord and by reverent obedience to Him and to Him alone. I'll read it one more time to you. Worship is forgetting about self and offering your life as a servant sacrifice to the Lord. And worship is expressed through fearing the Lord and by reverent obedience. For too long we thought that worship is only expressed through singing songs. That was a great time of worship. Uh, the worship was only, then we moved to uh, a need for giving more in the church, so we moved to this in, in church history. Worship can also be done by singing songs and by you giving uh, offering, an offering to the Lord uh, through, your, through your tithes and your offerings. By giving, that's a sign of worship. And then preachers felt like they were, they were getting you know, the, the raw end of the deal, like, what about us? We're, we're part of the worship team too, aren't we? And so preachers started saying, let's worship the Lord through the Word. Maybe you've, maybe you've uh, uh, gone to another church before, uh, another church gathering, and you read on their bulletin, worship through song, worship through giving, worship through the word. Okay, so we're trying to tie all those things together. Christ had no intentions of us dividing out worship, putting it into places. This is where worship goes. In fact, John chapter 4, uh, really in the, middle of this serm- uh, in the middle of this conversation he's having with the woman at the well there, he preaches this little bit about about what, where, and when, and how worship should look like. That true worshipers will begin worshiping God in spirit and in truth. Not just on a mountain, or in a city, or in a temple, or in a building, but instead, you're going to begin worshiping God through the Messiah, through the Savior, everywhere that you are. True worshipers worship Him in spirit and truth. So we broke down together. Matthew 16, 24, it says this. Then Jesus told his disciples, if anyone would come after me, let him deny self, take up his cross, and follow me. For whoever would save his life will lose it, but whoever loses his life for my sake will find it. For what will it profit a man if he gains the entire world or the whole world and forfeits his soul? Or what shall a man give in return for his soul? So we're getting this uh, this teaching from from Jesus, from the one that we're calling Lord, who is Lord, by the way. We're getting this teaching from him about what it looks like to be a follower of Jesus, what it looks like to be, we call it a Christian, what it looks like to be a disciple. You claim to be a Christian, you you claim to be a follower of Jesus, you claim to be a, a disciple of Christ. What does that look like? Well, it looks like a life of worship. It looks like a, a life devoted to glorifying Christ, worshiping Christ. This means that you can worship Christ in your work, 
It means you can worship Christ in your play, in your hobbies. It means you can worship Christ in your family. It means you can worship Christ, even some of you, in your retirement. You can worship Christ in every aspect of life, the beginning, the middle, and the end. You can worship Christ in all moments of life. But to do that, three things have to happen. You have to, and we did it backwards, we talked about it backwards, you have to follow Jesus. You have to be willing to reverently obey him, fearing him and him alone saying, I'm going to follow Jesus and Jesus alone. We joke often and say that most churches are making disciples. Southern Baptist world, we like to throw out numbers to you and statistics and saying we're declining and the world's going to, uh, what is the phrase, hell in a handbasket because Southern Baptists aren't doing their job. Come on, Southern Baptists, get after it. you got to be doing, you got to be doing your job. Uh, most churches are making disciples. They are. We are a church who's making disciples. The unfortunate is... Uh, that most churches aren't making disciples of Jesus. They're making disciples of themselves or of grandma or grandpa or of tradition. We're teaching these things and we're making disciples. We're making followers. We're just not making followers or disciples of Jesus. And so we have to say we fear the Lord only. We're going to worship him and him only. And this is difficult in our world today. This is extremely difficult. I was looking out in our foyer just now, uh, right before we started worship, and we have two plaques back there, uh, both from the varsity baseball team, uh, saying thank you for uh, for your service to our baseball team. I mean, we we got this plaque, and some of you have not even seen it. It's so, I mean, it's just, you walk by, it's so pretty, so mesmerizing. It's like, wow, First Baptist Church, Lovington, it's so awesome. Like, do you know what they did for the baseball team? Anybody? <laughs> yeah, exactly. We don't know, right? We don't know. We don't know. It's not about us getting awards or accolades. It's not about us uh, making our name famous or who we are. But instead, it's about us following and fearing the Lord only, and we only worship Him. And in that, we say we fear Christ and Christ alone. And because of that, because I start with the fear of God, a fear of Christ, then I can worship Him and Him alone and be trusting in that, be faithful to that alone. So we say follow Jesus, these three little steps that Christ gives in worshiping Him. Follow Him. Fear the Lord with reverent obedience. Last week, we talked about taking up our cross. Romans 12.1, saying we're a living sacrifice. That if your body's not in the grave, then worship or dedicate your life to the one who saves. Offering your life as a living sacrifice. Just want to throw this out here uh, just to begin with here. Uh, some of you have taken off your grave clothes. Some of you have recognized, like we talked about last week, that Christ has saved you from death. And that you are alive in him. That he has clothed you with righteousness. And we do really good about putting that righteousness on on Sunday morning. We, we take off our grave clothes. We put on our church clothes. We come to church on Sunday morning. And we do a really good job of demonstrating our righteousness. And then Monday comes. And we tend to put on our work clothes, our grave clothes. And we tend to go back to death. We tend to go back to the way that we once were. I don't want to get to it too soon. But, but think about butterflies and caterpillars. Newness of life. Some of us, we look like a butterfly on Sunday morning, and for some in here this morning, you're saying, you know what? I saw you last week, and you look like a worm. What's going on? Why are you so, why are you so different? You put your work clothes back on, and you say, I'm going to separate where worship happens. 
Love the Lord your God with everything that you are. And so with that bleeds over into worship the Lord with everything that you are. All the moments of your life. Take up your cross, offering your life as a living sacrifice. How can you be alive and a living sacrifice? Only through the blood and sacrifice of Jesus. Putting on his righteousness and keeping it on. Now, you can't do that on your, on your own. I mean, this is why uh, uh, Jude says that we cannot do this. It's only through the work of Christ. The last two verses of Jude tell us this. It's only through the work of Christ that we can continue steadfast, uh, persevering through what he's asking us to do. You can't claim it on your own. So I know that I'm giving you this imagery of putting on righteousness and taking off righteousness, but it can only be put on by Christ. And really, if that's the case, only Christ can take it off of you. Romans 11 really talks about that a little bit. So you can't take it, you can't put it on, you can't take it off. But, but sometimes I feel like we, we tend to cover it up. Work comes on Monday morning or retirement comes on Monday morning or, or uh, uh, hobbies or play or school or whatever it is. And we tend to put, try and put those grave clothes back on over the righteousness that Christ has put on us. And this morning we're going to talk about denying self. I mean, what if life is really not about you? What if it's not about you? I mean, I know that's hard to think about. Because as I say, it's not about you. You're thinking, well, it is a little bit about me, right? I mean, it's, it's got to be a little bit about me, or why else would God have created me if it's not about me some, somewhat? Christ says, deny self, take up cross, and follow him. So worship is about forgetting self and offering your life as a servant sacrifice to the Lord. And that means every moment, denying self in every moment. Turn to Romans chapter 12. We're going to work through this together. Uh, through this idea of redeeming work, of taking everything that you do, and I'm using work as, as a number of things. It could be uh, the job that you have. It could be a hobby that you have. It could be play that you have. It could be, uh, it could be retirement that you have. Uh, so, so don't just think, well, I don't have a job. I mean, maybe you're a housewife or house dad. Like, uh, like, still, that is work, all right? We're going we're gonna to say that's work. You're not in heaven where there is no work, and so... Uh, we're going to say that you're a part of some type of work. I'm going to redeem work. We're going to take it and say, I've been redeemed, and so what I'm doing with my life can be redeemed also. So I'm going to use my work as worship of the Lord, going off of Colossians 3.23, that whatever you do, that you're going to do it as you're doing it for the Lord. I mean, that's given to, those, those words are given to, a, given to a slave or a bondservant. Like as you're working for your master, Colossians 3.23, as you're working for your master, do it. Work heartily as one who's working for the Lord and not for, not for men or not for man, but instead for the Lord. We're going to use work. We're going to redeem it. We're going to use it for the glory of God. Uh, Exodus chapter 31 gives this idea of that God gives these, skill, these skills, these skilled people to do the work, uh, craftsman work. Architects, engineers, putting things together. He, he gives the Holy Spirit. And in fact, if you read it, Exodus chapter 31, it's almost as if it's a, it's a gift of the Spirit. I mean, we, we tend to debate over gifts of the Spirit saying, you know, prophecy and preaching and encouragement and uh, tongues and all these things that we, we tend to, tend to argue about. But what about this Exodus 31 where God gifts skilled people? He, he gifts them with the skills to make these things in honor or glory and so that he receives the glory and honor for him. Joseph was another great example of someone who's gifted with work. I'm going to continue to do the work that the Lord has given me. I'm going to do it well as if I'm working for the Lord no matter what comes my way. Even if it means that somebody uh, falsely accuses me at work. Has that ever happened to you? 
Have you ever been accused of like not showing up on time or not putting in your best effort? Or I, I did some group counseling at a geriatric group counseling center one time, and they were real worried about how many paper clips were being used. What, what does it matter? And so in this moment, I'm like, I wanted to argue. It's paper clips. I mean, come on, you charge, you charge $190 for, per therapy session. Surely we can afford some more paper clips. No. Like, be careful with how many paper clips you use. If my attitude is as one who's working hardly for the Lord, I'm probably not arguing in that state, in that stance. Instead, I'm showing fruits of the Spirit, love, joy, peace, patience, kindness. I mean, how many of you in your work last week demonstrated joy when your boss came in? Or maybe you are the boss and you had to go talk to some of the employees and you demonstrated joy. Like, I love this moment. I can't wait to tell you you're fired. I have so much joy in this moment. <laughs> but we're going to redeem work and we're going to use it for the glory of God. You know, work began before the fall, right? I mean, work began before the fall. It was good work. It was, it was work that was pleasing even. I mean, Adam's going to name animals. I know that's what we bring it down to in children's stories, but I mean, how cool is that? Anteater. That's easy, right? Fly. That's so easy. Like, it's, it's easy, easy work, right? Some of them were difficult, like Brontosaurus, but still, he was naming them. Or Leviathan. Maybe that's the better word we should say. But work was happening before the fall. And then the fall happens, and work became toil, became labor, became difficult. It's why we call childbirth labor. It's why we call uh, uh, working that you, you've been in that. Man, this is just hard, steady labor. It's just difficult work. Well, how do we do that for the glory? How do we do that for the glory of the Lord? Can it be redeemed even? I mean, we, we separate often. Can the sacred and the secular come together? And those of you who have been set apart by the righteousness of Christ, and you've been called holy, and now you're sacred because of Christ, can you go into the secular world and still continue to worship, still continue to worship Christ? Can that happen? Can the sacred and the secular, can they blend together? Can they go together? You're going to have to make that decision. I say yes, but I'm a pastor, and so most of my work is sacred. <laughs> Some of you make it secular, but most of it is sacred, all right? And so it's, it's, it's easy for me to say that. I will say, side note, we've done a really good job, and I know this is October, and I've seen the rumors, okay? Brian and I were just talking about this. I know the rumors about Pastor Appreciation Month. Like You're appreciating, or the world wants to appreciate pastors for the gift that the Lord has given, and I'm not trying to ruin any plans tonight or whatever, okay? And I appreciate how you appreciate, okay, all those things. But really, let's not up, let's not put the, uh, the pastor position on a pedestal and say this is the highest calling of them all. Number one, I can't handle that weight. Like I'm a broken sinner saved by Christ. Let's put him on the pedestal and say he is the highest of all. He is Lord over all. Let's appreciate him with what we, with what we're doing with our, our lives. Worship him and him alone. Like I would say this, like the work that you're doing outside of the church building, whatever it is, in your home, in your neighborhood, in your businesses, what, wherever it is, schools, wherever it is, that work is more sacred than me trying to convince you that your work is sacred. Like, you should see that you have an opportunity as kingdom ambassadors, as people who are ministers of reconciliation, as kingdom ambassadors to go and represent the kingdom of God and wherever you are. Well, I've told you this story before. We have friends in Idaho who work for Bear Crop Science, one of the, now is the largest, uh, you know, co- um, seed company in the world. They bought the largest. And so now they're the largest of the largest. It's kind of a monopoly thing that's going on here. 
We had many guys who were employed by them who were sent to foreign countries. Here we are trying to raise money to send missionaries. And Bear Crop Science wants to send kingdom ambassadors to foreign countries. I mean, how incredible is that? I met a student, his name's Robert, and his senior year of high school, he said, I understand that I'm a kingdom ambassador. I'm an, I have an understanding that, that all my life is supposed to be for his glory. And so I'm going to join the army. At the time, uh, we had a lot of work going on in Saudi Arabia and Iraq and Afghanistan. You know all about that. I'm going to join the army with the idea that the U.S. government is going to send me by their, by our tax dollars, by the way, they're going to send me to go represent Jesus in a place that if I was to show up on the door at the passport, uh, at the, uh, as you're walking in the customs, hey, what are you here to do? I'm here to tell people about Jesus. They're going to say no. But I walk in under the uh, umbrella of the U.S. government. I'm going to go and proclaim the name of Jesus. I mean, you get to do that. I, I wrote down this past week the number of places. I'm about to make it real personal. Lovington Public Schools, Norley Hospital, Plumbing, Lee County Electric, Shopco, uh, hospital room visits uh, that you are there to, to visit the doctor, their doctor. You know, you're, you're there as a patient. Uh, we've got uh, the county. We've got, uh, you know, uh, nursing, like the, like the good life, the good sand. We've got people all over the place representing Christ. We have people at restaurants, at coffee houses. We have people at um, other stores. We've got the grocery store. I mean, we have a number of people at a number of different places being sent out by God to worship Christ in the setting that they're in. You are representatives. You're ambassadors for Christ. You're not representing First Baptist Church Lovington. You're not representing a Pastor Brian or Pastor Zach or, or semi-Pastor Matt. You're not representing any of those people. You're representing Christ. One day, the judgment seat of Christ, when you're held accountable for that, you will be held accountable for your representation of Christ. Thanks be to God that your sins have been forgiven. That there at the judgment seat, Christ is seen. He takes your place. That's the good news of the gospel. It's the good news of the gospel. So we redeem work and we say it's for the glory of the Lord. But how can it be redeemed? How can you take what's secular and set your minds to, I want to worship Christ in this setting? Romans 12, 1 and 2. I appeal to you, therefore, brothers, by the mercies of God, to present your, your bodies as a living sacrifice, holy and acceptable to God, which is your spiritual act of worship or your spiritual worship. We talked about this last week, this living sacrifice. Do not be conformed to this world. Do not be conformed to this world, but be transformed by the renewal of your mind, that by testing you may discern what is the will of God, what is good and acceptable and pleasing. Real quick, turn to Genesis chapter 4. Genesis is towards the beginning of the Bible. In fact, it is the beginning, just in case you... Genesis chapter 4, we're going to begin with, uh, in verse 1. We're going to look at two guys who were working. After the fall, sin has entered the world, so the world is broken. These two guys, brothers, begin working, and in their working, they try and offer a sacrifice or a worship offering to the Lord. Verse 1 says this, Now Adam knew Eve, his wife, and she conceived and bore Cain, saying, I've gotten a man with the help of the Lord. Verse 2, And again, she bore his brother Abel. Now Abel was a keeper of sheep, and Cain a worker of the ground. What's their job? One's a shepherd, and one is a farmer. Just regular old guys, right? The rednecks from Texas. One's a shepherd, and one is a worker or a farmer, a worker of the ground. 
Now Abel is a keeper of the sheep, and Cain a worker of the ground. In the course of time, Cain brought to the Lord an offering of fruit of the ground. So he had a harvest, and he brought some of that harvest to the Lord as a worship offering. In the course of time, Cain brought to the Lord an offering of the fruit of the ground. And Abel also brought of the firstborn of his flock of their fat portions. And the Lord had regard for Abel and his offering, but for Cain and his offering he had no regard. It's an interesting little scenario here that we're getting into. Both of them working with their hands. Both of them probably diligent to do what they're supposed to do. Doing all things correctly. I mean, here we have Cain who worked with farming, grew things. He must have done something right because he had a harvest. So he wasn't a terrible farmer. Abel is a shepherd. His sheep are having babies. So he's multiplying the sheep. So he's doing something right with his sheep. So they're both good workers. We have this scenario here. And the Lord had regard for Abel and his offering. But for Cain and his offering, he had no regard. So Cain was very angry. And his face fell. What was he angry about? About his terrible job? About the fact that he was a farmer? Was he angry that his harvest didn't that had fruit flies on it or something? I mean, what, what was he angry about? Was he angry that he wasn't a shepherd? Was he not having joy in farming? I mean, how many of you have done that before? I wish I was a shepherd. I'm just over here as a farmer. Can't find joy in farming at all. I wish I was CEO of the hospital. I mean, come on. How great is that job? I get to swim every day now. But for Cain and his offering, he had no regard. And so Cain was very angry, and his face fell. Notice how Cain began allowing his emotions and his feelings to get in the way. His face fell. The Lord said to Cain, why are you angry, and why has your face fallen? The Lord knows. He sees it, right? Why are you angry? He knows his emotion. Why is your face fallen? He knows his physical, uh, where he's looking. His eyes are no longer upon the Lord. If you do well, will you not be accepted? And if you do not do well, sin is crouching at the door. Sin is crouching at the door. Its desire is contrary, meaning its desire is opposite of you. Its desire is contrary to you, but you must rule over it. You must rule over it. Sin is crouching at the door. Anger, this looking away that you have, this anger that you have towards me, this looking away, sin is ruling over you. Sin is ruling over you. The work that you used could have been used as, as a sacred work, but instead you allowed this sin to rise up and take over your heart, and now your heart is being ruled by sin, anger, bitterness, a looking away from the Lord. He used his work to grow angry, to grow bitter to grow away from the Lord. My challenge to you is this. Do not be this guy. Use your work, use your play, use your school, use your retirement, not as a time to fall away or turn away or grow angry and bitter at the Lord, but instead to grow in right relationship with the Father, loving Him with everything that you are, including all the moments that you have. Do not conform to the pattern of this world. I mean, what is the pattern of the world concerning work, concerning school, concerning play, concerning retirement? What is the pattern of the world? And if we're not supposed to conform to the pattern of the world, but instead we're supposed to be transformed, then we should be redeeming work and using it for the, for the glory of Christ. 
every moment of our life. Cain spoke to Abel, verse 8, his brother, and when they were in the field, Cain rose up against his brother Abel and killed him. Sin crouching at the door. Bitterness, anger overtook him. Sin began to rule over his heart, his emotions, his experience, his bitterness. Instead of repenting of all those things and turning back to the Lord, his face fell further and further away from the Lord. I mean, in our scenarios, maybe it's not bitterness that's that's rising up inside of you, but you're using work to let greed rise up inside of you. We're using work to allow pride to rise up inside of you. Do you see how great I am at the job that I do? We're allowing these things. Maybe it's a past. Do you know how great I was? Can I tell you about how great I was? I've heard that a a number of times here, not to uh, be mean to you, but a number of times here. Do you know how great our church once was? I would combat that and say, do you know how incredible our Savior still is? I mean, Christ still reigns. No matter how great we think or how terrible we think our church was or once was or is or going to be, Christ still reigns and He is still the greatest and that's why we worship Him and Him alone. Cain allowed sin to rise up, to rule over him. He allowed work to get in and make him bitter and angry and caused him to rebel against the Lord even more. And his face fell away from the one thing or the one person or the one being that it should be directed to at all times. So we cannot, we can no longer, and you can read the rest of the story as you go home, and how sin ruled over him. But back to Romans chapter 12, we can no longer be conformed to the pattern of this world. Let me just say this, Christian, disciple of Christ, follower of Jesus, if you look like the rest of your co-workers and they don't have the spirit of the living God living inside of them, but you do, you're being conformed to the pattern of the world. If no one can tell a difference in your life, that something else rules over you, you're, being con- you're conforming to the pattern of this world. You're that butterfly who puts on the worm clothes. You have your grave clothes taken off and the righteousness of Christ is put upon you and you become this Bible-believing butterfly. That's cool, right? You become this Bible-believing butterfly. But then as soon as Monday comes around or Sunday afternoon or whenever it is you begin to work, you turn into these work-week worms that represent death and no hope. You fill in the blank. Why do you work? Why do you play? Why do you have the hobby that you have? What is the goal of those? Why did you retire? Why do you want to retire? What's the goal of that? Just, by the way, Time Magazine, ranked number four in the greatest places to retire is Malaysia. Just throwing it out there. It's the cheapest, best health care, most uh, least expensive. If you want to retire someone somewhere that is in desperate need of representatives of Christ, and if you like to fish, go to Malaysia. Be transformed, the Bible says. Do not be conformed, but instead be transformed by the renewal of your mind. It is a changing of your mind. It's God crying out to Cain. Hey, sin is crouching at your door. It's contrary. What's happening in your mind and your emotions, it's contrary to what you should be doing. It's going in the opposite direction. You're going to have to have a renewal of your mind, a change of your mind, being transformed from a caterpillar to a butterfly, not just on Sundays when it seems sacred, but the entire moment of your life, from beginning to middle to end, every moment for the glory of the Lord. Colossians 3.17, we must deny ourselves and renew our minds. And Colossians 3.17 says this, whatever you do in word or deed, do everything in the name of the Lord Jesus, giving thanks to God the Father. Romans 11.36, for from him and through him and to him are all things. You know what that means? Even tomorrow when you go to work, even today when you go watch the Cowboys, 
For from him and through him and to him are all things. To him be glory forever. Amen. What does this mean? It means in every moment of our life, we deny self. It's not about me. We're going to worship Christ with everything we do. We're going to redeem work for his glory. We're going to be teachers who look at being transformed by our mind, transformed by the renewal of our mind through the Holy Spirit, being transformed to be a teacher in a classroom of, of students who need to know about patience and hope and sacrifice and love and mercy. We're going to be uh, employers or bosses who are representing Christ, who make decisions based upon, uh, not we love to call them kingdom principles, based our, uh, making decisions based upon who Christ is daily, asking for wisdom and discernment, saying, renew my mind, change my mind, let me no longer be conformed to the pattern of this world. True worshipers, John chapter 4, will worship the Father in spirit and in truth. You know, a good way, a good way to show worship of Christ in your work week, a good way is to worship Him in spirit and truth. Living a life of the Spirit, a life of worship will produce fruits of the Spirit in places that fruit shouldn't be produced. Think about that. Love shouldn't be produced at Norley, but it is. Because there are godly examples of people following Christ. Love shouldn't be, patience shouldn't be produced at uh, Lee County Electric, but it is because there are godly representatives of Christ, uh, representing Christ in His Spirit. Love shouldn't be being produced at Lovington Public Schools because of all the bureaucracy, because of all the rules, because of the terrible little kids. But it is patience and love because there are godly people representing the kingdom in those places. There shouldn't be oil-filled workers who produce self-control, but there can be because they're living with the Spirit of God living inside of them, representing the kingdom. Galatians 5, 22 and 24, through 24. But the fruit of the Spirit is love. When you produce love from the Spirit in your workplace, you're redeeming work for the glory of Christ. Joy. When you show joy, when everyone else... We live in a world of complaints. When everyone else is hating their job and you show joy, people say, why? And you say, because I'm a chosen race, a royal priesthood, a holy nation, a people for his own possession, that I may proclaim the excellencies of him who called us out of darkness into his marvelous light. Once, let me tell you, once I had no joy, because once I was a people, though I wasn't even a people really. I had no identification, I had no label, but now I'm God's people. I'm a, I'm a person belonging to the Lord. Once I did not even know what mercy was, but now I have received mercy. And because of that, I can find joy in my work. Love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, self-control. So interesting. We live in a world where we want to, we're trying to take away religious things, right? Uh, how many of our students or how many of you have seen on the news and so you just uh, uh, take it to be gospel that students can't pray at school anymore, or they can't take their Bible, uh, they can't even be Christians there. They check them at the door, they scan them. Oh, I see your little cross emblem there on your hand. You can't come in. Like we, We're just really dramatic in that now. It's an interesting thing that this, this ends this way. Verse 23. Against such things... There is no law. Now, particularly, we're talking about the law of God here. 
There's no rule over producing these things. There's no rule over, there's no law over producing love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, self-control. Do you know why there's no rule or no law against these things? Because they come from the Lord. They're examples, they're attributes, they're, they're His character. He's a God of love, He's a God of joy, He's a God of peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, self-control. If you're not sure about that, look at yourself in the mirror. Has God been gentle with you? Has He been merciful with you? Has He been patient to you? Has He shown love to you? He's a God who demonstrates these things. And we use work as worship. We redeem it. We say everything that we do, play, hobbies, uh, retirement, work, housework, whatever it is, we're going to demonstrate, we're going to produce a life of the Spirit, fruits of the Spirit, in places that fruits of the Spirit are fruit shouldn't be produced at all, in the desert even, we're going to produce these as, as we worship Christ. You are kingdom people. If you've confessed Christ as Lord and He's Lord of your life, you belong to Him and you are kingdom people. You're not waiting for a kingdom. You are kingdom people. You are people who belong to Him. And I know that we as Baptists, we love to talk about priesthood of the believer. We love to talk about that. I'm my own priest. I can rule over myself. I can decide. I can read scripture. I can decide for myself. No one rules over me. I believe wholeheartedly in the priesthood of the believer. And I read you the verse that, that agrees with what you're saying. Until your boss tells you to stop worshiping Christ. And in that moment you say, I'm going to change my, I'm going to change my ways. Don't conform any longer to the pattern of this world. But be transformed by a renewal of your mind. Saying, you know what? Maybe I can't stand up in the, in the break room and share the gospel as, as I've been told or taught how to share, but I can produce love and I can produce joy and peace and patience and kindness and goodness and faithfulness and gentleness and self-control. I can produce these things. And as I'm worshiping Christ in spirit and truth and this, the fruits of the spirit are being produced in me, this life of worship will glorify Christ and Christ alone. Beloved, I urge you as sojourners as exiles to abstain from the passions of the flesh, which wage war against your soul. I mean, when Peter's writing this, I can only imagine them thinking about Cain. Sin is crouching at your door. I urge you as sojourners and exiles, understanding that you may work, you may work in a, in a job that's terrible, or you may have retired from a job that was terrible and that you found no joy in, but in this moment you recognize that the Bible says, and it's true, that you are not a citizen of this world. And, and in that, I even mean the United States of America. You belong to the Lord who is Lord over all. You are a part of His kingdom. You are people belonging to Him. And with that, we worship Him and Him alone. Beloved, I urge you as sojourners and exiles to abstain from the passions of your flesh, which wage war against your soul. Keep your conduct among the Gentiles honorable, so that when they speak against you as evildoers, they may see your good deeds and glorify God on the day of visitation. So we approach every day. We approach every day as servants looking to their master. We're going to end with Psalm 123. If you came to prayer meeting on um, Wednesday night, then you have all the notes for this already. But on uh, Wednesday nights, we joke and say we have minutes with Matt, and we're about to have two minutes with Matt on Psalm 123. Your homework this week is to continue trying to memorize Romans 11:36, to read through Mark again this week for the second time. You're going to read through the whole book of Mark. And then also you're going to study Psalm 123. It's a song about service. 
It's a song about serving our merciful master. Psalm, the psalm starts out like this. Psalm 123 verse 1 says this. To you I lift my eyes, O you who are enthroned in the heavens. Tomorrow morning, before work, start with this. You're not Cain, who lets your face fall, but instead you lift your eyes to the one who is enthroned in heaven. I don't care if you're retired tomorrow and you're not getting up till 9.30. Still, when you get up at 9.30 or 10.30, whatever it is, you lift your eyes. Before you lift the coffee pot, lift your eyes to the one who is enthroned in heaven. Before you go to school tomorrow, before you teach, before you go to work, whatever time it is you go, before you work out, before you even uh, think about going to the shower or whatever you're going to do, you lift your eyes and you say, Oh, you who are enthroned in the heavens, I'm worshiping you and you alone. Behold, as the eyes of the servants look to the hand of their master. See, this is, this is where we are. Lord, I'm your servant. No matter what I do, if I'm a teacher, if I'm a coach, if I'm an electrician, an engineer, a plumber, uh, an accountant, an executive, whatever it is that I do, a student, a house mom, dad, uh, you know, a casa worker, whatever it is, I'm doing for the glory of the Lord as one who is serving the master. Behold, as the eyes of the servants look to the hand of their master, as the eyes of a maidservant to the hand of her mistress, so our eyes look to the Lord our God until or till he has mercy upon us. Good news. We can read backwards. He's given us mercy. He shows it to us every day. That mercy comes through the completed work of Jesus. And have mercy upon us. Verse 3 says this. Have mercy upon us, O Lord. Have mercy upon us, for we have had more than enough of this contempt. Eugene Peterson says, I'm tired of getting kicked around. I'm tired of getting kicked around. We've had enough of it. They've been kicking us in the teeth, these rich people. I'm tired of it. Have mercy upon us, O Lord. Have mercy upon us, for we have had more than enough of contempt. Our soul has had more than enough of the scorn of those who are at ease, of the contempt of the, contempt of the proud. And so what do we do? We lift our eyes to the one who's enthroned above all. We say our eyes are upon our master. We serve him and him alone. Not just on Sunday when we think it's sacred, but let's make Monday sacred as well. I'll end with these words from Jesus to try and convince you furthermore before I pray for you. You can redeem work. You can make work, hobby, play, retirement, whatever it is that you're doing or about to go do. You can make that for the glory of God. And I'll end with this, Matthew 6, 24. No one can serve two masters, for he will either hate the one and love the other, or he will be devoted to the one and despise the other. You cannot serve God and money. So we must daily deny self, take up cross, follow Jesus. You follow Jesus to your craft. You follow Jesus to your work. You follow Jesus to your retirement. You follow Jesus to your family. You follow Jesus to your neighborhood. You follow Jesus. You take up your cross. You deny yourself and you follow Jesus.